Thank you, uh, Grayson. I, uh, it's, 
God works despite me sometimes and works in amazing ways. I heard that song this week and I thought, we've got to sing that sometime. I, 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 didn't know, I didn't know you were going to sing it, so God was working in you. Thanks so much for sharing that song. Let, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the ways you're working. Just in the little things and the big things and just the way you put things together beyond what we could possibly do. And Lord, you're just so good. And we thank you. We pray that you would continue to send your spirit into this service. You, you already have. There's, uh, you're moving in our midst, and I pray that you'll keep moving in our midst. That you'll do in us and through us more than we can ask or imagine. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, as, as Beth has shared with you, uh, we are going to look at John uh, 13, verses 1 through 17, and uh, it's good stuff about the washing of the disciples' feet, a story that uh, many of you have heard uh, numerous times, but let's read the text again. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew that there, who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should, you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. As I shared with you last week, uh, John chapters 13 to 17 are for those who belong to Jesus. Jesus has withdrawn from the crowds and he's with his disciples in the final moments of his life. He's with his own and he's teaching his own about his great love for them and the love they ought to have for one another. And what's so special? 
what is consistent throughout Jesus' ministry is that he doesn't just teach love, he demonstrates love over and over again. So on this last full night before his crucifixion, he demonstrated his love with a very significant act, the washing of the disciples' feet. But before John tells us about the foot washing, he draws our attention to Judas, verse 2. It was during supper, and the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And I'm not sure why John chose this very moment to tell us about Judas's plot, but one plausible idea is that John was drawing a contrast between Judas, who was moved by Satan, and Jesus, who was moved by love. The story that follows speaks of the humility of Christ who washed his disciples' feet versus the pride of Judas. Jesus is loving and faithful to his disciples to the very end, whereas Judas betrays the very one who loves him most. And the contrast is not just between Jesus and Judas, it's also the contrast between God and Satan. Interestingly, we know from Isaiah that Satan tried to exalt himself and be like God. Contrast that to Jesus, who was God. And yet, according to Philippians 2, 7-8, he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, we already get a hint right here of the humble love of Jesus. His love is so great that he would humble himself for our sake. And looking at verse 3, we see that Jesus was fully aware of who he was. All things had been given into his hands. So Jesus knew he had all authority. He knew he had come from God. And he knew that very soon he was returning to God. So as mind-boggling as this is, you've got to think that this is God acting here. This is God who rose from the table. This is God who took a towel and a basin and washed his disciples' feet. This is God demonstrating his great love for his disciples and for you and for me. So Jesus, God, verses 4 to 5, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then skipping ahead to verses 14 and 15, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. So what are we to make of this? Should we add another sacrament of foot washing? I don't think so. Though I've participated in foot washings and I find them holy and humbling, and many of you have perhaps participated in foot washing, I seem to recall that at some of the church picnics, uh, you guys had uh, foot washings in time past. That's great. But I think key here is the word example found, found there in verse 15. I think Jesus was giving us an example, a dramatic illustration, if you will, of his entire 
ministry. Ray Stedman writes in his book, Secrets of the Spirit, Jesus was dramatizing for them the character of his ministry. He was showing them by this means what he came into the world to do and what he would send them out to do. If we stop to think about it, Jesus' actions here indeed are a summary of his ministry. Look at verse 4 again. He rose from supper. Would Jesus roam from the, rose from the throne of glory to come live among us? He laid aside his garments. Jesus laid aside his celestial garments and he came as a true man. He tied a towel around his waist, the sign of a servant. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 7 tells us that Jesus emptied himself and became nothing. He took the nature of a servant. Verse 5, Jesus poured water into a basin and he washed the disciples' feet. He will soon pour out his blood for the washing away of our sins. And then verse 12 tells us that when Jesus had finished, he put back on his outer garment and he resumed his place. Jesus has now returned to his rightful place. Hebrews 1.3 says it plainly. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, the foot washing was indeed an illustration of Jesus' ministry. So what does this illustration mean to us? I mean, should I have announced last week that we were going to hold a foot washing today? I really thought about it, but I was afraid half of you wouldn't show up. I mean, if you've never participated in one, it is powerful, and it's humbling. And it's a little embarrassing, especially if your feet are less than perfect, or they tend to smell bad. I just thought as I was coming up here, and I hope I can get this story right, about a story about a young couple that were preparing for marriage. And they were real nervous. They were real nervous, especially about the, the honeymoon week, because both of them, well, they had some problems. The girl had the problem that she had really terrible breath in the morning. And so she went to her mother and said, Mom, what am I supposed to do? I don't want to ruin the honeymoon. And she said, well, I'll tell you what you do when you wake up in the morning, first thing in the morning, she said, you make sure you roll over, you go brush your teeth. And you brush your teeth real well the night before. But, but if you wake up in the night and you're turned towards your new husband, make sure you turn the other way. Well, the, the groom, he had a problem too. He had really smelly feet. So he went to his, his dad and he said, Dad, what am I supposed to do? His dad said, well, you know, make sure you take a bath that night before you get into bed. And he said, just to be careful, he said, wear your socks always. Maybe it'll cover up some of the stench. Well, that all went well for two or three days on the honeymoon until one night he lost one of the socks in the bed sheets. And he, he woke up trying to find it, and as he found it, he woke up his bride. And without thinking, she turned toward him and said, what are you doing? And he said, my gosh, you swallowed my sock. Stinky breath and smelly feet come with marriage, right? And so does imperfect feet and stinky feet comes with a foot washing. 
But that's the point. That's part of it because when you participate in a foot washing, you're moving into the role of a servant. And that was Jesus' point. He's saying, look, I'm the master and I'm serving you and I want to teach you to be servants. And here's the thing, having walked through the dirty streets of Jerusalem with nothing on but a pair of sandals, their feet were nasty. They would have been quite dirty. And since there was no servant there to do this, one of them should have thought of it. One of them should have taken the time to wash one another's feet. But apparently they had forgotten Jesus' teaching that the greatest among you shall be a servant. So Jesus demonstrated for them and for us, he said, you got to be a servant. He said, if I, your master, entered into the servant role, you've got to enter into the servant role for one another. And listen, Jesus was inspired, John was inspired, excuse me, to include an important detail, verse 2 again, the betrayal of Judas. We've already looked at the contrast between Judas and Jesus But Judas was already Jesus' enemy. It was already in his heart to betray Judas. But Jesus Jesus washed Judas' feet as well. There's no indication in this text that Judas had left at that point. Don't miss that. He, He washed the feet of his enemy. The very man who was going to betray him unto death. John tells us that Simon Peter had trouble with Jesus washing his feet. He, verse 8, couldn't imagine Jesus ever washing his feet. And I can only imagine that all the disciples were shocked. I wonder what it must have been like for Judas, so ashamed, knowing that he was already plotting something in his mind as Jesus washed his feet. I mean, if a foot washing has ever embarrassed you, can you imagine these guys? as their master washed their feet. And Jesus knew how shocking it was. And so when he had finished, he put back on his garments in verse 12. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? Continuing verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. So I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I think Jesus was acknowledging their shock. He was saying, hey, disciples, that shocked you a bit, didn't it? Yeah, I know it would. But do you really understand why I did it? Do you you really understand what I did? This is not, guys, just a one-time random act of kindness. I want you to understand I'm serious about this servant thing. If I, your teacher and Lord, can wash your feet, then then you guys have got to quit worrying about who is the greatest and start serving one another. You've got to start doing as I have done for you. I'm not just here to give you head knowledge. I'm not just here to give you some good moral lessons. No, once you know my teachings, you're blessed if you do them. And primary among them is that you've got to serve one another. You've got to care for one another. 
That's what we're to make of this foot washing. Our calling is to do things like care for aged parents. Our calling is to be concerned for people living in poverty. Our calling is to care for widows and orphans. Our calling is to get close to those who suffer and do our part to alleviate their suffering. We're called to open our lives and even our homes to those who are lonely. And when we gather with fellow believers, we don't take first place. Instead, we serve one another. Some of you have heard me say this before, but one of my great moments of ministry was here. Actually, it was next door in the chapel. When I got to officiate at the funeral of a man who was known for at times living on the streets of Stewart and having some serious drinking problems. I know that sounds shocking, but it really was not about his drinking problems and it was not about me. His life was rather sad. And I just happened to be your pastor at the time, so it certainly wasn't about me. What made that moment so special for me, and it was within months of my arriving here, was you, this congregation. You see, his family asked me to do his funeral because they said this church was one of the few places in town that the man ever felt welcome. I love that. Let me be clear that, that you nor I are condoning drunkenness. The Bible is clear about its stand against drunkenness. But what blessed me in knowing that is that I know there dwells in this church a desire to walk with and care for hurting people. And I'm urging you, and I'm stepping on my own toes and urging me, let's keep finding ways to do just that. I'm urging you, Stuart Presbyterian, to keep loving, to keep being loving servants to the people around us. There was a phrase circulating in my mind and in my heart throughout sabbatical, and it's the phrase, mobilize to love. Mobilize to love. I don't even know what that means yet. There's a few ideas floating around in my head and in my heart, but, I, but I'm still asking, what does that mean, Lord? And that's why I want to plant that phrase in your hearts and minds today. Mobilize to love. I'm thinking God wants us to sort that out together. He wants us to sort out together, how can we be ready to love? When tragedy strikes, how can we be ready? How can we have a plan now for how we're going to love one another. When a single mom or dad among us is struggling, how are we going to put feet to prayers and love them? Assist them. When we see an older adult's home in our neighborhood starting to, to get run down because they can no longer care for it, are we just going to watch it fall in around them? Or could we mobilize to help them? And folks, I'm just throwing out examples. You've probably got better examples than that. But we can't just be people who brings up needs and says, somebody needs to do something. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He was applying that directly to his teaching. If you know my teaching, do it. But I think it applies to our care for the community. 
If you know their needs around you, then blessed are you if you do something about it. Blessed are you if you get up and you go out and serve. And I've been struggling with this one. I've been pondering how I personally am being called to serve. And like you, I can't do everything and I can't help every person. And like you, at the end of the workday, sometimes I'm honest, if I'm being honest, I'm just worn out. And I just want to rest. I don't have a lot of energy left some days. So maybe it means choosing my one person or my one family at a time or my one place to volunteer. I'm not sure. I just know I've heard in my heart mobilized to love, which says to me, you got to be more ready to love. you got to always be ready to love. So what I'm doing is I'm praying that the Lord will speak to you as well. Because otherwise, mobilized to love is just a catchphrase and nothing good will ever come out of it. I pray the Lord will speak to us all. And, and as He does, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for our elders to hear from you. I'd love for our outreach team to hear from you. As our Lord and Savior and teacher has done for us, how is He calling us to do for others? How will we mobilize to love? Let's pray together. Lord, I don't have all the answers for sure. And sometimes when you give the answers, I truthfully say, really, Lord? Is that what you want me to do? Sometimes I know comfort's my biggest weakness. But Lord, if we're going to mobilize the love, I know you're calling us out of our comfort zones. I know, Lord, this very week you're going to place somebody in our lives and we're going to have a decision to make. Are we ready to love? The phone's going to ring. We're going to run into someone. And we love our community. This church loves it already. And there's many other churches around here that's loving this community already. I pray that you'd just do a mighty work in your church around this community and around the nation and around the globe, really. And you'd mobilize us more and more to love. Send us out. Get us up from our tables that we would go out and be your humble servants. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Teacher, the one who taught us with a with water in a basin and a towel. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace today and forevermore. Amen.